Well, good morning again, Chillicothe Bible Church. It's my privilege this morning to speak God's Word to you. And as I prepare to uh, lead us into God's Word, I want to again pray for our nation and our community as we continue to face the challenge of this uh, outbreak, this pandemic. Uh, so far, there are very few uh, confirmed cases in Peoria County, and that's good news. And for that, we should thank God. Uh, but we don't know how long we're going to remain isolated from one another uh, due to this illness. And so uh, I, th I thank God that he hears us when we call out to him from our distress. And, and we want to do so right now. So if you join me again in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are indeed a God who hears, a God who loves, and also a God of great power that uh, can and does heal, that can and does put a stop to plagues as they spread. Father, we pray that that's what you would do for us, that, uh, that according to your mercy and according to your power, that you would bring an end to this plague around the world, that you would protect our community, our nation, and our neighbors in countries around the world. Uh, Father, we, we ask out of love for our neighbor that, that you would be merciful and that you would uh, bring uh, through whatever means you might choose to put a stop to this. Uh, Father, we, we cry out to you from the midst of our distress and we know that you hear and we know that you love us and we know that you are powerful. And so, Father, we ask for your mercy in that. And, Father, we also ask uh, for your Holy Spirit to lead us into your word today. Father, uh, your word has great power and depth far beyond my ability to communicate it. And Father, I pray that you would help uh, all of us to understand what your word says and to put it into practice in our lives. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beginning this morning, I'd like to focus our attention on the book of Colossians. And over the next several weeks, I'm going to take us through the whole book. Uh, there's a couple things you need to know about the writing of the book. First, it was written by the Apostle Paul while he was under house arrest. Uh, he could not travel, and he wasn't able to be with people in person except under closely supervised circumstances because he was literally chained to a Roman guard. And second, this is the only one of Paul's letters that he wrote to people with whom he had never been physically present because the Colossian church was not planted by Paul, but by one of Paul's disciples, a Colossian man uh, who was named Paphras, who was also sometimes and sometimes is elsewhere referred to in the New Testament by the name of Paphroditus. Epaphras came to faith in Christ while Paul was in Ephesus, and then he did what Jesus told so many people to do, which was to go home and to proclaim to those back home what God had done for him. And he went home to Colossae. And while he was there, he planted the church at Colossae. And uh, the point of all this background information is to tell you this, 
that this book was written under circumstances very much like our own. Uh, we aren't technically under house arrest in that we don't have ankle monitors uh, as we're doing this, but this is as close to house arrest as most of us have ever lived. Amen? And we, uh, we are confined to our houses. We can receive people only under closely supervised circumstances, and we uh, long to be with people that we have not, cannot at this point be physically present. Uh, and meanwhile, the audience for this letter, the people who were receiving it, were also people like us. They were people who were isolated from other Christians, and they were hungry for any kind of teaching from God's Word. And that made them vulnerable to false teachings who relish picking off the immature in those kinds of circumstances. So uh, this book has a lot of truth for us, uh, and I cannot wait to show it to you because it is an exciting book about how Christ is meant to reign supreme over every part of our lives. Whatever the circumstances we're in, Christ reigns supreme. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn over with me to Colossians chapter 1 and follow along as I read verses 1 and 2. The Word of God says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, most people, when they start reading a book like this, one of the New Testament letters, they just sort of buzz past the greeting sections without paying them a lot of attention. But there's actually some exciting truth in these two verses if you are looking for it. And in verse 1, Paul tells us two important things. Number one, that he is writing this letter as an apostle of Jesus Christ chosen by God. It is important that we recognize that because it's a reminder that you could not receive the office of apostle by some other means. You had to be chosen by God. You cannot be appointed to the job by mere men. You can't run for the job and be elected to it. Jesus hand-selected every one of his apostles in accordance with God's will. And that specialized and, by the way, temporary office gave them authority to speak God's word to his people in their own day and down through the centuries to us as well. That being said, that means there are not any living apostles today. There are none. The qualifications of it are clear. You had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry as he was present in the flesh. And you had to have seen Jesus resurrected so that you might be a witness and, a, and give testimony to that reality. And so there cannot be any living apostles. And understanding that will help keep us from following false teaching. For, to keep us from following after someone who says about themselves, well, I am an apostle. I carry apostolic authority. I have new revelation from God that you all should listen to. 
But Paul was one of the apostles. In fact, he was a witness of Jesus' ministry in an abnormal way. It was, he was a witness as an opponent. And he did see the resurrected Jesus, but also in an abnormal way, on the road to Damascus, not in the immediate days after the empty tomb. And so Paul refers to himself in Corinthians as one abnormally born. Because it was not the normal way that you became an apostle, but it was the only biblical way that you had to be a witness of Jesus' ministry and you had to see Jesus raised from the dead so that you could testify to these important facts. And again, remembering that, how the apostles came into existence will keep you from a lot of false teaching. In addition to that, Paul is writing with Timothy's help. Paul used a variety of secretaries as he wrote, uh, probably because ever since the incident on the Damascus Road, Paul could not see well. And so he wrote with very large letters because I believe he was mostly blind. And because of that, it was in a day when parchment and and implements to write with were expensive commodities, he would utilize other men to write for him in a way that was more economical. Paul, on top of that, always had men around him to whom he was passing the faith and people who were his ministry partners. Timothy was one of those. Uh, you also see uh, Silas, or sometimes called Silvanus, that uh, also serves with Paul as his secretary at points. Uh, you see Luke writing the book of Acts as he and Paul traveled together. They were his ministry partners. Uh, and Paul is following that pattern that Jesus laid down of training and building the next generation, making disciples just like Jesus commanded all of us to do in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus made disciples. Paul made disciples. And we, therefore, ought to follow that example, that pattern, that command, and make disciples also. Amen? Now, uh, that takes us to verse 2, which also has some rich truth. Now, look at how Paul describes these people. They are, first of all, saints and faithful brothers. Now, you need to understand that grammatically, this is this, this are two terms that refer to the same people. This isn't the saints, group A, and faithful brothers, group B. This is saints and faithful brothers, one group. There is no B-team Christianity. There isn't, the, there isn't the elite, you know, the SEAL Team 6 Christians, and then everybody else. We are all called saints and faithful brothers. Everyone is a saint. The word there literally translates, and your, your Bible may translate it this way, to holy ones those who are holy, those who have been set apart by God. And if you're a saint, you're also a faithful brother uh, if you are a genuine Christian. And on top of that, it says at Colossae. And that's important because it distinguishes their identity from their location. 
a lot of times there's a temptation for us to, to tie our identity to the place we are from. But the Bible does not do that. The Bible ties our identity to who we are in relationship to God and the place that we are from or the place that we are living is simply the place where we are at. It's our location, it's not our identity. And so to bring that into into our context, we are not Americans first. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are Christians in this country who happen to be Americans if we are followers of Jesus. And with that, there is a, a ministry occupation that is expected of wherever you are at at the moment. Wherever God puts you is the place where your ministry is meant to take place. God calls us the same as he calls them, he calls us to be saints and faithful brothers wherever we find ourselves at as well. And the last thing he says to them here in verse 2 is grace and peace to you from God our Father. And this greeting is unique to Paul. Uh, in the ancient world, if you were a Greek speaker and you wanted to say hello, you used this particular Greek word. You used the word chiren, which is based on the word for grace, but it was just a common expression that had to do with greetings. And it was just a way of saying hello. But Paul changes the form of the word to emphasize it, it as a blessing, grace. Grace, not greetings, grace. And he adopts the Hebrew greeting, Shalom, brings it into Greek and calls it peace, grace and peace. That was the typical Greek greeting, the typical Hebrew greeting. Paul ties them together because he is indicating that we who are Christians have received a blessing from God. It is a prayer of blessing and it's a reminder that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, are recipients of grace from God our Father through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. And you, therefore, as Paul says in Romans 1, I mean, uh, Romans 8, rather, that you have peace with God. Because he has become our father, right alongside Paul and Timothy. And we all become equally part of the same family of God. Grace and peace from God, our father. There's a communal aspect to relationship with God that does not in any way depend on who you are as a person, except in this respect, are you a person who has embraced faith in Jesus Christ? If you are, then God is our Father. You join a community, the people of God, the family of God. Now, I want to look with you at another couple of verses uh, in this chapter, verses uh, 3 through 8. 
The scripture says this, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Now, I love verse three. Remember, these are people whom Paul has not met and isn't present with, but he thanks God all the same when he prays for them. The idea there is whenever I pray, I give thanks to God for you. And the implication is that he prays for them often. As a Jewish man, his habit would have been to pray three times a day. And there's no reason to think that Paul ever changed that ingrained habit after he met Jesus. And also note that when Paul prays and thanks God, that God isn't a generic deity in his mind, but he is the specific deity, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us as Christians to understand that too, because in our day, as well as in theirs, There are lots of people who went around making claims about their God or their gods. But biblically speaking, there is only one God who exists. And he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Do Christians worship the same God as people of other religions? No, they do not. In fact, elsewhere in the scripture, the apostles tell us that those who offer sacrifices and those who worship other gods than the father of the Lord Jesus Christ bow down before demons. There is one God, the Lord of all creation and the Father of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at verse 4 and verse 5, you'll see three important words that, Paul, that explain why Paul thanks God for these people that he has never met. Do you see them? They're really important. They are the words faith, hope, and love. That's the order we usually think of them in. That's not the order they appear in in the text, uh, but they are the three most important marks of a Christian, faith, love, and hope. Your Christian life begins at the point that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the entry point into the family of God. That is the point at which you become a Christian. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, then by faith you have entered into new life with God. You have become part of his family and you can rightly call God 
your father, along with our father, as part of the community of the redeemed. In addition to that, uh, that produces love as fruit. Uh, love, first of all, for God, and then uh, out of that love for other people, both in the Christian community and those who are outside it. And that, that love like that is the result of the hope that we have that is laid up for us in heaven. And by the way, Christian hope is not another name for wish casting. Like we sometimes do. Like, I hope that this pandemic is over in two weeks because I would really like to see everybody and go back outside. We, uh, we don't know whether that will happen, whether it won't. But Christian hope is not based on things that might happen or might not. They are based on things that will happen because God has made promises which are going to be kept. God has laid up for us in heaven certain and sure things that are going to take place. And so our hope is fixed not on something that might happen or might not, but on something that will, the certain coming of the Lord Jesus. It is something which has not happened yet, but we are sure is coming. Jesus will return one day and he will take us home. So why is Paul thankful? Why does Paul praise God regularly in prayer for these people whom he's never met? Because their faith and love and hope reveal them to be his brothers and sisters with whom he will one day be present around the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, I don't know when all this will be over. But here's what I do know for sure. That one day, all of us who are part of the family of God will gather around our Father and that we, according to the promises Jesus made to us, will live in his house as part of his family. And we will never, at that point, ever be separated from him or from one another ever again. Now, there are a few other things that we need to see in the rest of verse 5 down through verse 8. These verses give us additional supporting reasons for Paul's ongoing rejoicing and gratitude for these Colossian believers. Uh, according to Paul, all the things that he has been rejoicing over in them are part of the gospel, which he calls the word of truth. And he is rejoicing because the gospel is continuing its spread, not only to them, but all around the known world of his day. And he's rejoicing that it's not just being proclaimed. It's not just going out. It's also bearing fruit in the lives of people. People are being transformed. Now, it is my belief that if you're watching this right now, that perhaps some of you may not have entered into a relationship with God yet. And if you do, can I invite you right now into that opportunity to 
embrace faith in Jesus Christ, that the gospel might bear fruit in your life, just as it is bearing fruit around the world. Approximately 25,000 people come to faith in Christ every single day in places all over the world, in every nation, among most of the world's languages, in, in very few of them is the gospel not proclaimed. And the gospel is bearing fruit all around the world. And in that, we rejoice too. We rejoice as the family expands. Just as when a baby is born, the family rejoices. When we see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, we likewise rejoice. Because it adds to the family. We gain brothers and sisters. And people's, uh, as people's lives are being transformed, Epaphras is continuing to be a faithful minister of the gospel to the Colossians. The gospel powerfully transforms wherever it goes. If it is heard and understood and personally received, that's what he's talking about when he says, that you heard it and you understood it. You don't really understand it. You haven't really heard it until you've embraced it for yourself. It's not just the sense of passively listening. It's the sense of receiving it into your own soul. That is what is transformative. And we also see Paul rejoice because Epaphras has made their love known to him. Now, the three big points of application I want to draw from, uh, from this text, draw all of our attention to these three things. First, the Christian life is lived in the space between being among the saints and faithful on one hand and being at some particular geographical location where God has put us on the other. Our identity as God's people makes us wildly distinct where it ought to, from every other kind of person that is around us. We are to call to be holy, just as the word saints implies. And we're called to live faithfully before God in the place where he has put us until he calls us home. We are not meant to withdraw. We are not meant to live as hermits in the desert, but to faithfully live out whatever life God has called us to and to faithfully carry out the task that God has appointed to us and being faithful to live in a holy way in all of our relationships, in all of our business dealings and jobs, uh, and in the private spaces, even within our own hearts, we're called to live in a holy and faithful way until the day when our faith shall be sight. And our hope will be present and love will fill all things. Until that day comes, we're called to live as saints and faithful people wherever God puts us. In addition to that, the Christian life is one of faith, love, and hope founded on the grace of God and the peace with God that we experience by embracing the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that he is the son of God who died for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us new life. 
and hearing and embracing that message begins your Christian life. And it results in love for God, love for your fellow human beings, both your brothers and sisters in the church and your neighbors outside it because of the hope that we have in Christ for all eternity. The gospel changes people from the inside out. Every other belief system and practice in the world aims to change the inside of the person by changing something about them on the outside. But the gospel contains a message that is empowered by God to change you from the inside out at the heart level to make you a different kind of person than you were before. And God's intention is that it would bear that kind of fruit in your life and then would spread throughout the entire world. And that implies that we who are Christians need to proclaim it to non-Christians as well as to live out the life that God has called us to because we are already saints in his sight. Last thing I want to draw your attention to is that the Christian life is intensely relational. Intensely relational. I know this ought to be a basic thing that we can all just assume. And I think that too many Christians do simply assume it. But look at the text again. There are certain words that just jump off the page at me. Do you, and I want you to make sure you don't miss them. Who is God? Not just any God. He is our Father. Fellow believers are brothers and beloved. There are two references to mutual love being a key indication of genuine faith. And all of the uses of the word you are not singular. They're plural. Why? Because there's a community that we become part of. A family that we become part of as followers of Jesus. I don't want us to miss the important simply because it is obvious. Christianity is not a solitary belief system where you just embrace certain truths in your own life and then live your life independently of everyone else. It is a relationship with God who becomes your family and it is entry into that family with billions of brothers and sisters, uh, not only alive around the world today, but going back thousands of years. And these words that we use of God, our Father, and our beloved brothers and sisters are meant to be more than just metaphorical descriptions. They are meant to be genuine descriptions of the kind of relationship that we enjoy with God and with one another such that you and I even love Christians whom we have not met yet. I know that not everybody has had the opportunity to go overseas. I've been overseas in, in many places. I think last I counted 15 or 16 countries. I've been blessed to, be, uh, to, be, to visit and to minister in many of them. And what I find when I meet Christians 
in these places is that there is an immediate relationship. Because I am home with my brothers and sisters. I might not be home in the sense of being with my family and the people I have known for years and who have known me for years, but I am home with them wherever I am because my family is there. We might not look the same. We might not speak the same first language. We might um, be very different culturally from one another, but we are brothers and we are sisters in Christ. And all of this implies that we are called, just like you would be in a family, to enter into intense, deep relationship with those who are nearest to us. We don't hold each other at a distance. And I know, I know that is really challenging. For my extroverted personality, I am climbing the walls every day. Um, being, ex being an extrovert who's also immunocompromised uh, makes life right now very challenging in terms of being able to communicate with the people that we love. But physical distance does not have to mean emotional and spiritual distance. In fact, I think as you look at this text, what Paul demonstrates to this letter written messages. I don't know about y'all, but I got a phone call from a friend I hadn't talked to in several months the other day, and he was just calling to check in on me. Hey, man, I hadn't seen you. I know you're quarantined in your house, and I'm quarantined in mine. How you doing? We talked together, and just hearing his voice was so encouraging. And, and I cannot tell you how much that meant to me. And so especially now, because we are brothers and sisters, we need to be checking on each other, calling and writing and texting and praying and using technology if we can to love and encourage one another because Christianity is not solitary. It's meant to be intensely relational. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray, and then we'll bring the band back up and sing some more. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father. That you are our Father who loves us, who sent his Son to die on the cross for us, to be raised from the dead for us, to give us new life. And that that new life brings us into a family. And that you have done everything necessary, Father, to bring us into your family is, is amazing grace. That we would have peace with you is incredible. And yet you have done as you spoke through the prophet. Though our sins were red like crimson, you have made them white like wool. And you have brought us into relationship with you. And Father, we love you for that. We thank you for that. We give you praise for that. We pray, that, Father, that our lives would be radically distinct from what they were before, that by your Holy Spirit, you would make us what you call us, saints and faithful brothers. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.